This morning, reading our text for us is David Trimble. David is from Scotland, serving as a church planter in Glasgow. He's been a friend of this church, and we're having conversations about things that will move forward there. So, brother, thank you for being here and for reading the passage for us this morning. Thank you. Uh-huh. So the readings from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, brother. You may be seated. The events that have unfolded over the last week or so remind us once again that we live in a very dangerous world. Continuing in conversations with missionaries in Ukraine and and Russia, with Christians in Palestine and Israel and all over the Middle East. We're reminded we live in a very dangerous world. As Christians, we have a perspective on it because of what the Lord has given us. But one thing I think we often forget is that we are never, as believers, civilians in peacetime. The side of heaven, we are always going to be in and feel the reality of the spiritual war that exists. Paul so clearly speaks about that in the book of Ephesians. Christ writes this final letter to the church of Laodicea. It's the seventh letter, the final one to the seven churches. It's a very harsh rebuke that's given in love. I do not want you to miss verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Of the seven letters, six of them received some level of commendation. There was something in each of them. Jesus said, I know you, and I'm pleased with this. In two of the seven churches, they received no condemnation. 
which shows you that it's possible to be in a church where the Lord is really pleased. They weren't perfect churches, but they were living for Christ in such a way that he was pleased. In the other churches, the other four, there was some level of commending. I see this, I'm pleased, but I have this against you. In this final letter to the church of Laodicea, there is no commending. He only brings condemnation. He is very, to use the biblical word, disgusted with the church at Laodicea. But why? What makes Jesus say, I will spit you out of my mouth? That verse, along with Revelation 3.20, behold, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, are very well-known verses in the church, but also very misunderstood and often misapplied. As we look at this final letter, I want you to know that the Lord is bringing this to us in love. What he was writing to this church 2,000 years ago, he knew would be applicable to us today. And in each of the letters, there was something in them that you and I could relate to, something that we could relate to individually, but also corporately. And remember this, it's primarily corporately that he speaks. But the church corporately is made up of individuals, so it applies to each one of us. The first thing I would like to look at, I'll put under the heading of awareness. And what I mean by that is the people at the church of Laodicea were very unaware of how Christ saw them. The way they described themselves versus the way Christ described them could not be more different. And as I preach this morning, I've been praying for you and for me in the last hour and when Ron preached at eight, that as a body, we would be asking the question, is this true of us? Or more personally, is what he says to the church of Laodicea true of you? If you're unwilling to ask that question, then you are already revealing how blind and deaf you are. Is what he says to them true of us? Notice I didn't say, could it be true of us? Because it certainly could be true of us. In fact, we are more like this church in terms of what's coming against it than any of the other seven. So first, what we say about ourselves versus what God says about us. Look with me at verse 17. Let's go back to verse 15. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Well, who is it that knows their works? Go back up to verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, and this is just like the other letters, Christ is describing something about himself. He says the words of the amen. The, the word amen means final, it means true, it means agreement. Jesus is the final word. He is faithful and he is true. His witness is never wrong. So what he says I see of them is true of them. And that's just the same for you. There is nothing 
that is hidden from Christ that you think, that you feel, that you watch, that you meditate on, that you worry about, that you entertain yourself with. Nothing. You can put, push a button that says clear history, but not with him. You can hide from your small group, pretending you're something that you're not, but you can't do that with the Lord. So his witness is always of us faithful and true. There's nothing we can hide. And so in verse 15, he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. One of the ways we've misunderstood this is we think that Christians are either cold, lukewarm, or hot. Like Goldilocks, the porridge. That's not it. In other words, being cold is not rebuked here. Being hot is not rebuked. Only one is being rebuked. But why? This has something to do with where this church was located. It's fascinating how brilliant Christ is. Laodicea is a city that's very wealthy, but it has terrible water. In order for them to get water, it has to travel, travel miles through aqueducts. And by the time it gets to them, it's tepid, it's warm, it's nasty. Jesus is saying to them, you are no better than your water. But not far from them is Colossae. And Colossae is known for its cold water that has medicinal properties in it. It's like a cool drink. And they're drawn to that water. They know of that water. On the other side of them is Hierapolis, which is actually known for its hot springs. And people would go there in order to be healed from those medicinal you know, pots that are in the water. Jesus is drawing reference to the reality that you are neither cold, like cool waters that are refreshing, or hot, like the healing waters of these springs. You are like the water that comes into your city, and it's disgusting. And therefore, so are you. And he's saying that to them because he loves them. Verse 17 reveals how they see themselves. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's camp here for a minute. Their assessment of themselves working backwards is, we don't need anything. We are prosperous and we are rich. And they were. They were primarily prosperous and rich from three areas. Banking. Laodicea was a rich community. A lot of banking. They were also rich because of fabric, textile, clothing. And they were rich because of medicine. They actually were known to be a place that produced a salve that would heal the eyes. Their self-sufficiency is what causes them to be lukewarm. Remember, this is a church. It's not just to the common people. Jesus is standing outside the doors of this church. Those inside the church say of themselves, we're rich, we've prospered, and we need nothing. Jesus says, you're not right. 
You're actually wretched, pitiable, poor, not rich, blind, not with sight, and you're naked. No matter how good your clothing, no matter how good your medicine, no matter how strong your banks, you are poor, you are blind, and you are naked. But that's not how they see themselves. Is this true of us? Is this true of you? Because of where we live in this part of the world, and then in this particular city, the majority of us that come into this church are rich. Not everyone. There are people Sunday after Sunday that come that have no money. But most do, and most have a lot. There are some that you might look at and say they don't look very prosperous, but for most of us, we'd say we are prosperous, especially compared to the rest of the world. But it's the third one that we're most in danger of because of those first two, that we live as if we have no need. When you move towards a place in our country where there's a national park, You'll see signs as you get close, Smokey the Bear signs. They're going to tell you what the fire risk is. It's going to have a number of things that the arrow could point to, but the one that's most dangerous is extreme. Fire danger today, extreme. They put extreme when the elements that exist say this is a high risk for fire. Don't Start a fire. Don't light matches. Don't light a cigarette. Don't light anything. It's dangerous. Outside the doors of our church, at every entrance and exit, there should be a sign that we see when we leave and when we see when we come in. And it should say, danger of being lukewarm, extreme. And the reason is because we have so much wealth and we have so much prosperity that those things can shield us from feeling the needs that we really have, and primarily the spiritual need. And as a pastor, I've got to be honest, you don't often look like you are spiritually needy, like desperate, because you see yourself as Jesus sees you. They saw themselves as fine. If there was a prayer service they would not have come. Or if they would have come, they wouldn't have come forward because they didn't have need. Jesus is saying the opposite. You are wretched. You are pitiable. You are poor. You're blind. You're naked. And he's saying this all, please don't miss it, because he loves them. Now, I want to stop you with a warning real quick. If right now you're looking at other people saying, he's right about them, you're sick. I really mean it. You're really sick. Your eyes are moving towards other people that you think, yep, that's them, that's them, that's them. When he's saying this in such a way where we all individually need to be asking, is it true of me? Because this side of heaven that temptation, that extreme danger towards lukewarmness is always going to be true of a community like this. 
We have great access to comfort, great access to medicine, great access to power, so many wonderful things. But the enemy can use those things to eliminate the need that we feel for Christ and Christ alone. All Jesus is saying is the same things he said when he walked on the earth. When he said it at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. This church is not poor in spirit. People who are poor in spirit would never say, I don't need anything. People who are poor in spirit would say, show me, Lord, where my needs are, because I know I'm needy. People who are not poor in spirit, right now, they're in their mind even arguing with me. I don't think he's right. People who are poor in spirit, upon being warned by a shepherd, the shepherd being Christ, that this could potentially be who we are, they're begging God to show them. Open my eyes. Where am I depending too much on money? Where am I pursuing prosperity even ahead of you? Where do I not see the spiritual needs that I have? If it's not true of you, what about your children? I've been a pastor here for 21 years. Be pushing 22 in January. I came here first to serve youth and families. I would say everything looked pretty lukewarm. I don't think the youth culture looks much different today. Lukewarm parents disciple lukewarm children. Lukewarm elders lead a lukewarm church. Lukewarm pastors won't preach a text like this. A lukewarm congregation doesn't want to hear a text like this. Praise God. Praise God that I think in our midst there are so many who want right now to run to Christ and say, open my eyes and open my ears. We're in danger and we will be until Christ returns. And he tells us this because he loves us. Is this true of us? Is it true of you? In a book called Disciplines of Grace, Jerry Bridges, who wrote Pursuit of Holiness, a number of other books, was a NAV person. He says this, using an illustration of cruise control. He says, we press the accelerator, we push the pedal, we accelerate until we have brought our behavior, our Christian obedience, our Christian love, up to a certain level or speed. The level of obedience is most often determined by the behavior standard of the Christians around us. We want to just comfortably blend in with the level of obedience with those around us. But what if the setting in that line of cars, that caravan all set on cruise control, what if the setting is lukewarm and you don't even know it because all the people around you are breathing the same air. Is it true of us? Is it true of you? God, in his love, is saying to the church of Laodicea and to this church and the church in Dallas and the church all over the world, push, cancel, 
on the cruise control. Put your blinker on. Hit the gas pedal and accelerate. Accelerate in your zeal and in your repentance. Do you see what Christ did? In his love, he brings this incredible rebuke to them. They don't see themselves the same way he sees them. And what's really interesting about that is he is about to play upon their culture in such a profound way. Look with me at verse 17 again. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Then he gives his remedy. Verse 18, I counsel you. Now remember this. The counsel that he's giving is from the one who knows them perfectly. The counsel he's giving is from God himself. The counsel he's bringing is from the Alpha and the Omega, the Amen, the beginning, the end. The one who can learn nothing about them and knows exactly what would bring the Father glory. So he says, I counsel you. So this counsel that he's giving them is the same counsel he's giving us today. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may be clothed, that you clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And lastly, the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. You see what Jesus did? The very things that they were known for as a city. Banking, clothing, medicine, Jesus says, here's the remedy, go shopping. I hope you remember that. That's really his remedy. Go shopping. But here's what I want you to purchase. When you go into the city and you see the power of material wealth and you see the prosperity of material wealth, when you live in such a way as you have no need, I want you to actually see that that is worth nothing eternally. So buy from me. And what I want you to buy from me, Christ Jesus, is gold that is constantly being purified and will last for eternity. And I want you to buy clothing from me that is perfectly white, that will cover your nakedness from sin. And those eyes that can't see, I want you to bring those eyes to me that I might give you the salve to anoint them because they're worse than you think. They're blind. They're distorted. Come to me by me. And then he says, repent. Get at verse 19. And be zealous. Repentance is simple. It just means to turn. What Jesus is saying to this church and therefore to our church and any one of his churches that are tempted in this way is turn away. Turn away from putting your security in material possessions. Turn away your dependence upon your prosperity. Turn away from the idea that you have no needs. See yourself as I see you. And as I see you, you're poor and you're blind, and you're naked. Just like Adam and Eve, 
They realized they were naked and they hid. God is saying, come to me. But he uses the word zeal. Those to whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I want to unpack this word for a minute because I think there's misunderstanding here. You can be very emotional and even quite expressive in your worship and still be lukewarm. You can give the appearance because of emotional realities in your life that you are on fire, but in reality, you're very lukewarm. That's not what this is about. That's not what zeal is. That in itself can be mindless. It isn't always mindless, but it can be. Now, for those who are thinking, I'm glad he said that because you're not emotional maybe at all, you need to hear this. Emotions really matter. Jonathan Edwards in Religious Affections would say if the emotions are never captured, if there's no work of God in the heart, then there is no evidence of real religion. What he's saying is you're actually not saved. Now, you might not be an emotional person that cries easily or is one that wants to be very expressive, and that's okay. But to say emotions are unimportant is going against the way God made us. If something in your heart doesn't stir when the living God reveals to us the plan of salvation, that he sent his only son to die for you, literally die the death you deserve to die, if nothing stirs you with that emotionally, then there's a huge disconnect in your understanding of the gospel. That doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to become a person that's super emotionally expressive. It might, but zeal is not based on that. Zeal is based in reality, just like being cold or being hot is reality. And so is being lukewarm. It's not an emotion. It's just what you are. He says, be zealous and repent. Zeal means that there is an urgency that moves towards action. One who simply doesn't move towards action upon hearing the word of God is in danger of the very things that Christ is preaching. Christ then gives us this very famous verse that's been used so many times by me and even to me as it relates to evangelism. 320, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Well, first of all, it's not inappropriate to use this verse in evangelism, but it wasn't what this verse was meant for. This verse is being spoken to a church that already exist. This is about renewal. This is about Christ saying, I'm standing on the outside of your church and you make me sick. Your life of lukewarmness is disgusting to me. And if it doesn't change, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. The fact that he is waiting shows grace. The fact that he is knocking shows grace. Christ should be in the church because the people in the church should be 
desperate for him to be there because he's the Lord of his church and he's the only one that has riches that will last forever. He's the only one who can give present and eternal prosperity. He's the only one who can meet and cover our nakedness. And so he's knocking. Do you hear the knock? Is this us? Is this you? There's going to be people in here who hear that it is. Praise God. Open the door. And what does he say will happen? A meal, communion, intimacy. The one who covers your nakedness, who is ultimately and eternally rich, who gives your eyes what they need to see, is saying, I want to dine with you. Lukewarm people really don't want that. People who know they're poor and blind and naked, they're desperate for that. In Ephesians 3, Paul described the calling to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Listen to what he said. I've been given the grace to preach the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. But listen to this. He put an adjective in front of the word riches. And I want to read to you seven or eight different possibilities of adjectives because this is what we have in Christ. I have been given the privilege of preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, the endless treasure of Christ, the inexhaustible, unfathomable, incalculable, untraceable, boundless riches of Christ. Christ could never become those things for us. He could never be the one that Paul was preaching about if it wasn't for his life and his death. Christ became poor so that we could be rich. In his book called Prayer, a Dutch theologian named O. Period Halsby said this, I don't know another verse in the Bible which sheds more light on prayer than this one. And then he wrote out Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That verse can be used for salvation. Today, the Lord may be knocking on your heart. And as we close, I encourage you, pray. Lord, I need a savior. You alone are the savior. I receive you alone for my salvation. Pray that prayer and then tell me or somebody that you came with. But it's primarily about renewal. It's about a church like ours in danger of being lukewarm because we're so comfortable because we don't feel much need. And the need is because of the riches and the prosperity 
that is around us. Between now and when Christ calls you home or he returns, we are all going to be in extreme danger of becoming lukewarm. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Ask God today, tomorrow, and the next day to give you ears to hear. Is it us? Father in heaven, we cannot say enough that you gave this letter and this sermon to your people because you love us. You do not want us to live a lukewarm life. You do not want us to model for this little boy that was baptized today a lukewarm, nominal faith. You warn us, and we pray that you would give us ears You woo us by knocking on the door of our hearts, and we want to open them. Friend, if you are coming to Christ today for the first time for salvation, pray right now to receive Jesus as the only one who can forgive your sins and save you for all eternity. Lord, there are many in here, I know them, and they want so much to love you if we have these elements in us and you are reminding us that we are lukewarm or telling us that we are lukewarm, let us not argue with you. Let us run in repentance and zeal to you who forgives us and fills us and embraces us and gives us everything that is necessary to live a life that is not lukewarm all for your glory and your good. Do your work, Holy Spirit, even now as we close in song, bring your truth. Open our ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.